Welcome to Career Practitioner Conversations. This podcast is presented by the National Career Development Association. Hello, everyone. I am Melissa Venable, NCDA Director of Professional Development, and today's conversation focuses on career development and LGBTQIA clients and students. Thank you to NCDA President Dr. Lakeisha Matthews for hosting this episode as part of her presidential series. Her guest today is Jonah Friedman. Jonah is a licensed associate counselor in New Jersey and an NBCC National Certified Counselor currently working at Vita Health. Lakeisha and Jonah, thank you both so much for being here. I will turn the floor over to you. Thank you so much, Melissa, for that introduction. And I am so excited today, Jonah, to have you on our podcast. Welcome. How are you? Yeah, thank you for having me. I am very excited to be here and I'm I'm doing really well today. Awesome. So Jonah, just to let you know, as we jump in, um, I've launched this presidential series and it's focused on diversity, equity and inclusion because my uh, theme for this year and as we go into our global conference is career development around the world, making connections and increasing access to impact the global labor market. And I'm really talking to professionals all across the country who are providing career services to different types of students. Because the fact of the matter is the work we do, we don't only provide it to one type of student. And the other fact of the matter is we don't necessarily send our students out into a perfect world of work. So I like to dive into those issues. And we've just been talking about all sorts of topics. And today we're talking about career services for LGBTQIA plus clients and students. So to get started, first, I just want to make sure we and our audience are all on the same page in case someone has not heard that terminology, LGBTQIA plus. Can you explain to our listeners what does that acronym mean? Yes, I am very happy to. Um, and thank you again for just having me here for this conversation, specifically on this topic. Um, I am a member of the community, and it's a population that, as a clinician, I am super passionate about working with and advocating for. So, honored to be here today, specifically. Um, so, the acronym. So, LGBTQIA is a set of letters that is really meant to kind of represent different groups within the larger. Um, sexual, gender, affectional, romantic, um, queer community. And so each letter stands for a different part of the community. The L stands for lesbian. The G is gay. LGB is bisexual. T is trans. Q is queer. Um, LGBTQI is intersex. A stands for asexual. Um, And then really the plus for um, adding on more and more identities as they come. And that's a beauty of the LGBTQIA plus community is that it expands over time um, as people identify with um, new identities within the community and as terminology evolves with the time. It's amazing that we're able to kind of add new letters and evolve. Um, it's, It's one of the beauties, I think, of being a part of the queer community. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for that description. I think it's so important for career professionals to understand the last part of what you just said is that this is evolving. Um, I remember when I first started out in training at the University of Maryland College Park as a resident assistant, and back then it was LGBT, right? It kind of was stopped there. And then now I fast forward, however many years I've been out of college, we won't talk about that. And now we, it, we've transformed it. So I think that as career practitioners, we want to keep up with this language of the LGBTQI a plus space and really understand what the terminology means and specifically what it means to our clients um, and, and, and to our students and how they describe that and how they um, identify with a part um, of that population and a part of that, that acronym. So um, I was so happy to come across your name um, in an article uh, that you wrote for NCDA's Career Convergence. And you wrote an article about a topic I had never heard about before, which was microaggressions and the LGBTQIA plus professionals. And we hear about microaggressions with BIPOC professionals all the time. And here you were bringing this to um, the LGBTQIA plus space. And I was like, this is great because I think sometimes those of us who are cisgender, we don't walk in the shoes of a person who is not cisgender and understand what that experience might be like in the workplace. But surely if we're a career professional, we should be able to support all professionals. So tell me, why was that topic so important to you specifically for your population? Why did you focus on microaggressions? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a really great question. Um, I think specifically LGBTQIA plus microaggressions in the workplace was important to me because it kind of ties together a few of my interests um, as a person and as a professional, just based on my background. Um, so before I kind of ventured into the world of working as a therapist, I actually got my bachelor's degree in marketing. Um, and so I spent a year working in the corporate marketing world um, and did experience some LGBTQIA plus microaggressions. And wow. that was like the firsthand experience that I went through. Um, I pretty quickly realized that marketing was just not for me hmm. and then took a, a made a pivot and transitioned into working as a therapist, which I have absolutely loved um, <laughs> and have really found my niche. And as I mentioned earlier, working with queer individuals, yeah. that being said, there are still a lot of people who identify as LGBTQIA plus and experience those microaggressions. And I think that as career practitioners, as just um, clinicians, mental health professionals in general, there's so much space to advocate for clients, to help companies um, provide better just workplace environments for queer people. Yeah. Um, so it really felt like an untapped just overall kind of niche to look into and to provide some more information on and really educate myself even further. So that's kind of where this article came from initially. Thank you so much for sharing your personal experience and for writing that article. And to our listeners, if you haven't had a chance, please go to the NCDA website under the Career Convergence magazine, and you can look up this um, article. We'll also link it uh, with this podcast because it really gives you a great overview of what um, those in the queer community can face at work. Um, one of the things that you just mentioned is what you experienced in marketing. Um, I, had a, I had an employee come to me one time. Um, who is a part of the queer community. And they said, you know, I really never wanted to put out a picture of my family on my desk because I was afraid 
of what people might think or say. And I, it just was such a profound moment for me because, you know, I'm a cisgender person. I had pictures of my kid up and my, my husband and things at work. And I had never thought or hesitated to do that. So what are some of the challenges like the microaggressions or what this person said to me? What are some of the challenges that persons in the LGBTQIA plus uh, community may face in the workplace or during the job search process? Yeah, I mean, I think you make a really, a really important point there, which is that a lot of people who are cisgender and heterosexual um, just don't even really experience these microaggressions because that's a part of the privilege, right? And yeah. um, is that you you don't ever really realize that some of these things exist for queer people. Um, and that's kind of the nature of sometimes of microaggressions as well, is that they're not always these like major acts of aggression, these macroaggressions, like people aren't necessarily getting punched yeah. in the face at work because they're queer, but there are these little things like the fear of retaliation for putting a picture of your partner on your desk at work. Yeah. Um, Things like somebody assuming that you have a partner of the opposite sex or gender um, is something ah. that's a good example of a microaggression at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is an example of something that had happened to me when I was working in the, in the marketing world. And I think maybe if that happens one time, it's maybe not the end of the world, maybe something that somebody can cope with. But when it happens day after day after day, things mm. add up. Um, yeah. a, a way to kind of conceptualize that is I've heard before, like if you have one gnat or one fly kind of buzzing around your head, it's maybe annoying, but it's not something that you can't deal with. If you had a hundred gnats or flies buzzing around your head, suddenly it's like, wow. whoa, this, this is a lot going on. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how microaggressions can build up over time. Wow. And you really are giving us a real life example in your own experience of how this then integrates into our career. You chose to leave that industry um, partly because of those things. And I think that is what's so important for us to realize as career professionals. I think there is two part for us. Number one, when we're servicing clients, we should not make assumptions about anyone's gender or anyone's sexuality. I think that that's very important in the inclusive environment. I hope we're all trying to create is stop assuming. Um, That's number one. And then number two, we want to realize that you said, you know, kind of alluded to the emotional toll of microaggressions. So we know within the brown and black community that microaggressions have a emotional toll and emotional toll can really add up. Like you said, a lot of gnats can add up to trauma, right? So as workplace professionals, we don't want to take it for granted um, when people come to us from the LGBTQIA plus community and they're sharing those moments uh, because those experiences as a whole really do impact a person's wellness, which then impacts a person's ability to um, be well at work, to be motivated at work, to find workplace um, satisfaction. So thank you so much uh, for sharing that. I think another part of this in the workplace that goes with assumptions is personal pronouns. And um, I am fortunate that at my institution, we really embraced, um, I feel like as as the terminology shifts and changes, I feel we embraced it very quickly. Um, and I, I would love it if you can just explain to our career practitioners, what is this new usage of personal pronouns? How should we be using it when we meet and engage our clients? And then I like to talk a little bit after that about how clients should introduce it during interviews and when they're networking and so forth. But let's start. Can you explain to our career practitioners, you know, what is this new usage that we have of personal pronouns to make those and help those in the LGBTQIA plus um, community feel included in, in with language? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I think this would probably be a good place, number one, to just say that my pronouns are he, him <laughs> um, and ask you your pronouns as well, if, if you're comfortable sharing. Yes. Thanks for asking. My pronouns are she, her and hers. Great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. And I think even there, just to start off and maybe to reframe that concept of like the new use, usage of pronouns, which is that really forever we've used pronouns. It's mm. more so now we're really bringing attention to the intentional use of pronouns in certain situations and as a part of language as we are today um, and just how language is evolving over time. Um, To that point, we've always used pronouns, right? In language um, forever, really, since we've had language, especially (laughs) in languages like English. And of course, pronouns differ across languages, but in our language that we're speaking in right now in English, we've always used pronouns. Um, I think it's really important just that we start normalizing the use of pronouns, especially as cisgender people. So I'm a gay man, but intersectionally, I'm still a cisgender person. And so I think we have a responsibility almost as cisgender people to normalize that experience for people who maybe it's not quite as simple or as safe always to utilize pronouns in public spaces. Um, Wow. Yeah. So I I definitely can get more into that. It sounded like maybe there is some more questions coming on this topic, but that's just a little bit of an intro. No, that was that was absolutely perfect. And I like how you sort of described it as historically, we've always had this part of our language and now we're being more intentional about it. And the the point of that intentionality is to be inclusive. Right. Um, And I love the fact that you also said we all really need to embrace this. And I think that one of the things you just did with me, you role model so eloquently how you can introduce yourself using your pronouns and then how you can ask someone else to do so, but creating a safe space by saying, and if you're okay with that, if you feel comfortable with that. And I just want to say, you know, for the career practitioners out there, you know, that's a great best practice now when you're meeting a client. Now, when I meet students on my campus now, I don't assume, you know, it's we share our pronouns. Um, and I have several folks on my team who go by they, them. And I've even heard um, we had a training not long ago that, to learn that there was a new pronoun, Z, I think it was Z or Zers, um, was coming out too. So I think that that's a great, that was a great role modeling moment uh, for the professionals. Um, Now let's talk a little bit about when we are advising our job seekers, because you've already said, hey, there are microaggressions out there in the workplace. And I always like to, I have this just new saying that we do not send students and we do not send our clients out into perfect workplaces, because I feel like we have a tendency to administer career development and even maybe mental health in ways where we treat everyone like everyone's the same. And like, they're going to go out and have the same experiences when that's just not true. So if I were a person in the queer community and I have, um, I I have pronouns that I prefer, maybe they or them. What are they, how do you recommend folks share that during an interview? Um, do they do they wait? Do they share it up front? Do they wait till they get the job? Well, you know, how would you recommend someone in the LGBTQIA community address that at work? Yeah, I think that's a really excellent question. And I would always say it comes down to personal preference. Mm-hmm. I would never force somebody who identifies with a gender minority or as gender queer in any capacity to have to share their pronouns or really any piece of their queer identity with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that as queer people, we're always kind of 
in this dance of is it safe or not to let people into this piece of my identity and that is it's it's a risky game but it's a necessary part of survival i think as a queer person in the world um unfortunate but a reality and a part of the beautiful resilience of queer people i think as well yeah. so i think in some situations and if you're comfortable you can definitely share your pronouns and i would encourage it if it's something that you're comfortable with if not, it's also totally okay to take care of yourself and your physical safety and your mental health if that's something that you want to do. Um, it's a personal choice. At the same time, I think it kind of comes back to what we were saying earlier of how it's so important for people who are cisgender and who do have that privilege and that just kind of innate safety um, in being able to share their cisgender pronouns to normalize it for people who maybe it is not always as safe for, um, because then it becomes more commonplace and more normalized for people who are trans or gender non-conforming in some capacity to share more often. Absolutely. Thank you for ending it that way, because I think that one of the things I've seen as a supervisor and as a career professional, it's not really just those in the queer community that we are really coaching through this, but the cisgender community needs to understand how to use the pronouns, what's appropriate, how to ask, um, how not to make assumptions, and to understand that it is a language change. And I think it's okay to say that. Um, and it may take a minute, you know, to, to get used to referring to someone as they or Z or Zers. But it also is it's a commitment to an inclusive uh, workplace. It's a commitment to inclusivity. So I, I love that you mentioned that as well about what we can do, um, those of us who are cisgender, as well as what you can do if you're a part of the queer community. Would you say it's a best practice now um, if you're in a company that is inclusive to pretty much have your pronouns on um, in verbal introductions, your email account, and like your social media profile, your business card, like where are you sitting right now with, with that? Yeah, I think it is a best practice. Um, so for example, just personally, I do have my pronouns on my personal Instagram account, on my LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very fortunate that I work for a company that does ask us to include our pronouns on our email signatures. Mm -hmm. um, I do it wherever I really can, because again, it just it normalizes the experience. And I, I have that privilege as being a cisgender man who, um, when I do share them, there's there's really little, very little risk of repercussion. And so it makes it a safer space for people where it's it's not always quite sure or safe. Um, and so I'm happy to do it for people who don't have that same privilege. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. So, you know, for those who are listening, those who will give advice on resumes and cover letters and LinkedIn profiles, you know, this is now something we should be including in the conversation. You know, I remember years ago when we first started telling people add their LinkedIn URL right to their resume. Now, here's a new new language piece that has evolved when it comes to professional documents, when it comes to, you know, networking and introducing yourself that we need to include in our career education for all, because it's not just us telling the queer community how to do this, but it's us telling cisgender folks as well how to do this when we're in business and networking situations and on our professional documents. Thank you so much for sharing your best practices there. Um, I want to shift a little bit and build on this. So, you know, with some clients, it's not just uh, sharing their their personal pronouns, but it, 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 it there's this new piece that has evolved of I I might be a transgender individual and I prefer to use a different name. So not even my pronouns I want to share with you, but I have a name that I prefer for you to call me, which has such huge career implications because that's my resume, that's my LinkedIn profile, and then what we find is 
I go to get the job and all of a sudden I have to give like my license or my social security card and there's a different name. And it sort of forces me to disclose um, something I may not have even been trying you know, to do. How would you advise a person who is transgender or going through a process, a gender uh, change process when it comes to preferred name? How would you advise them to present that in in an employment situation? Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's a tricky situation. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that is a great example of a microaggression for a trans person because mm-hmm. being dead named, which is the act of being referred to as um, the name, which you no longer identify with as, as a trans or gender nonconforming person um, can be traumatizing. It can be a microaggression. Wow. So I would say similar to what I was saying earlier, like it's kind of a personal choice. You have to mm-hmm. do that, that same dance of, is it a safe environment for me to reveal this? Do I want to? Have mm. I kind of weighed the pros and cons for myself? Um, I would add a caveat right now, just that I am saying all this as a cis person. And so I, I don't want to speak on behalf of the trans community um, because I'm not a, a member of it. I would just say from people that I've spoken to and, and from the, my own research that Typically, I think the best practice is to do what's comfortable for you. Um, There is no right or wrong way to exist as a trans person in the workplace. So if you want to let people into the name that you prefer to use or that you identify with, absolutely amazing. If it's safer for you not to, then same good works works best. Perfect. I love that. And that's so pretty much consistent across all of the diversity variables. So I do a talk on the impact of diversity variables on the job search when it comes to unconscious bias. And whether you're talking about someone differently able, whether you're talking about natural hair in the workplace, or maybe a woman who's expecting, I think that is the main thing is that helping our clients and our students understand that they own their identity and how they choose to share it or when they choose to share or if they choose to share is their choice. And I think for our listeners, we have to be prepared to help our clients navigate that because one of the words you keep using is safety. And this this feeling of that things can quickly shift to a place where a queer person doesn't feel safe. So I think we have to be willing to have that conversation with our clients and talk about that. Do you feel safe? Let's talk about the pros and the cons if you share this during the interview versus once you get the job. But let's talk about the pros and the cons of getting the job and then sharing it afterwards. And it's the same thing as a person who's differently able, but might need an accommodation, right? When do I share it? Do I share it? Where's the safety with that? Um, And I think that this one in particular just always stands out to me. I, I have had students who were transgender and we uh, were doing some work with employers and man, it was really hard when some employers just were not in tune to this. They didn't, you know, they don't, they did not understand or they didn't have a way in the system because some of this is technology to address a preferred name and a legal name. And that takes me to something else. I think that's important for our career practitioners when we're doing our own intake. It's very important that we have that language on our applications and intake forms and processes that we um, are are giving people a space to share their pronouns, but also their preferred names um, as as well. What are your thoughts on that as as a professional and how we intake our clients? Yeah, absolutely. When I do intakes as a a clinician, I always ask for pronouns. um, If people are comfortable sharing, really, I kind of just open this space and ask them to share their identity with me um, if they're comfortable. It's 
my my space, although I practice via telehealth, so my virtual office is is really always a safe space for all queer identifying people. So absolutely. Wonderful. Um what I want to talk a little bit about the process of a person who is yet in the development of their sexual or gender identity, and they're going through what we deem the coming out process. Yeah. What what advice would you give to someone? I know there's a, a family side to this because you know we did a, a panel on um, per- personal pronouns at my my. Um, place of work. And one of the things some of the students talked about was how difficult it was with some of their family members who wouldn't use the pronouns, um, didn't want to accept their sexuality or their gender identity. So how would, you know, what can you talk about what that experience might be like and what career practitioners, practitioners should be aware of when it comes to a coming out process and how we could support someone from the work side of what that process might look like? Yeah, I absolutely can. Um, I think initially something I like to to work on with my own clients and just my own kind of mentally um, with myself is a, a reframe. And with the idea of coming out is a switch from coming out to letting people in. Um, and I learned this from a really amazing clinician and professor. Her name's Dr. Colleen Logan, um, who did some research on this concept. And it's the idea of when we come out to people, it puts a lot of the onus and a lot of the um, action on the person, the queer person who is having to come out. And it's, it's a very difficult process. Whereas when, when we let people in, it puts more of the action on the people who are coming into your life. And so it makes it less the responsibility of the queer person and more the responsibility of everyone else. Um, because it shouldn't have to be this responsibility and this weight on individual because people who aren't queer don't have that responsibility. Uh Um, We don't expect straight people and cisgender people to come out with their straight and cis identity. (laughs) Um, So I think that is number one. Number two, um, I'll now refer to it as letting people in rather than coming out is an ongoing process. Um, It's kind of a reality of the game. It is not this like one time, one and done situation that I think a lot of people conceptualize it as. Ah. I think maybe this, we often have this like Hollywood romanticized image that there's this really dramatic day and you tell everybody in like a public service announcement and mom's crying <laughs> and then suddenly there's fireworks and it's all said and done and everything works out for the best. Um, maybe for someone that's how it happens, but it wasn't for me. And I don't think it is for them. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes letting people in is a lifetime experience because wow. there are those societal expectations and norms that really for the majority of your life, every time you meet somebody new, you have to let them in at some point, mm-hmm. your identity. Um, and that includes the workplace. Yeah. And I think queer practitioners kind of need to be aware of that, as do queer people in general, um, to be prepared prepared for that experience. Um, so I think really it's it's an ongoing thing. It does become easier over time. It has for me, and I think it does for most people. And you really stop caring as much, I think, especially as you embrace the idea of that you are letting people into your life. You're not having to come out to them. They are the ones that really need to let, come into yours, to your experience. Um, 
Yeah. So I, I just shared a lot. I think that's conceptually quite heavy. So maybe I'll pause there and kind of let the listeners take that in for a second. Yeah. Let's let folks take that in. That was, so that's the first time I've heard the language letting people in. And I thought it was just beautiful. Um, I also like that you said it's a continuous process. Cause I think we do communicate it. And what comes to mind is a lot of people think about like when Ellen DeGeneres had her TV show and there was a coming out episode, right? So we treat it like it's this one moment in time um, and it's not. So I, th- I think that that was just a beautiful description to really let us on the inside of, of what that is like as a process and that is very developmental. And yeah. what it made me start to think about and um, is the gingerbread model that we use these days to help people really understand identity. And you're shaking your head. So it sounds like you're familiar with this model. And, you know, it's so interesting because some people I explain this model to and they look at me like I have 50 heads and they do not know what I'm talking about. So you want to take a minute and explain to folks what that gingerbread person is, that model of identity? Yeah, yeah. So you said the genderbread model, right? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So essentially it's just, it's a, it's a really nice kind of like graphic representation that um, is nice, especially for people who are more visual learners, or it's really useful for young people to visually represent the differences between different aspects of identity. So sexual orientation is not the same as gender identity is not the same as affectional orientation or romantic identity. Um, It really highlights, I think the idea of intersectionality as well in that you can have these coexisting um, different pieces of your identity. So for example, I am a gay man, but I'm also cisgender. And those things can coexist at the same time. And they don't have to, um, they don't have to kind of go against each other. They can be harmonious and I can still be this one congruent person with these (laughs) multifaceted aspects of my identity. Um, And it can become more and more complicated with different people. Complicated is not the right word. It can become more and more beautiful, I should say, with different Mm -hmm. people. Uh, yeah absolutely thank you so much for explaining that if you're listening in and this is the first time you're hearing about the the gingerbread model for identity development we will link it um with the podcast because it's it's a great visual and it it explains that identity attraction sex and expression of those three things are all very very different and people can't be boxed in um and like you just said jonah there's this intersectionality of all of us even in these four areas. And it takes us, I think, really out of um, what has been a very flat description of these areas for years, right? To now what is a more dynamic description. And it really gives us some understanding to what people are communicating to us when they're talking about personal pronouns or they're talking about uh, preferred names and so forth. So thank you for introducing our audience, uh, maybe introducing to some and sharing with others that gingerbread um, concept. I want to end our time today by um talking about a piece that I think is important for anyone that's a part of an underrepresented group that wants to be in a workplace where they feel they can bring their authentic self to work. And that is, how do I find companies that will accept me for me? And because sometimes I have clients, you know, for me, if I think about the conversation of natural hair, I have some students who say, no, I'm going to, you know, make my hair look very traditional because I just want to get in. And I have others who say, I'm wearing my Afro, Dr. Matthews. And if they don't take me how I am, so be it. I'm finding a company that 
wants me. So, you know, for the uh, queer community, um, if a client comes to you and they've had some of the same experiences, say you had in the marketing world, and now where you are in your, your company in a very inclusive environment, what would you tell them? How do they know that a company is inclusive? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few different ways to kind of go about that. Um, one, I think if they're working with a career practitioner, it is our responsibility to educate ourselves mm-hmm. and to know companies and organizations that are queer affirmative, mm-hmm. um, that are supportive of queer individuals that, so that we can help clients find jobs and mm-hmm. organizations that are going to be affirmative of their identities. I think that's super important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that clients and individuals also can definitely kind of take matters into their own hands. I think one thing that I really like doing, especially when you're looking for a job is, um, reach out to current employees or past employees and talk to them about their experience. Um, put them up on LinkedIn and send them a message and be like, hey, how how was your experience working there? Um, people love to talk about themselves and their own experiences. <laughs> odds are they'll be more than happy to let you know what it was like for them. Um, yeah. And then even like do your research, look on Glassdoor online for reviews by people. Um, be proactive and yeah, do your research because there's, there's stuff out there and you you can definitely take matters into your own hands, be your own advocate, and make sure that you end up in a place that will affirm your identity because we all deserve that. I, I so agree with that. Just so um, well said. I think that that advice for career practitioners that we should be knowledgeable of the places and spaces that will be accepting of our clients. I think that that really calls us the task. And that's a good action for all of us who are listening in is to reflect and say, um, if I'm working with an individual who's identified and disclosed to me that they're queer, how can I help them with that job search? Am I aware of companies and organizations that are inclusive in their industry? Um, We'll put some links um, for the audience out there to uh, the Human Rights Campaign. They have some great resources on coming out at work and there's another wonderful website um, called Out at Work that typically gives some list of companies um, that are very inclusive, particularly to the uh, queer community. This has been such a rich conversation, Jonah. I am so happy that you agreed to speak with us today. Thank you again for writing that wonderful article about microaggressions and today for being transparent, open, honest, educating us um, and helping us to better serve the queer community. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was my honor to be here. 